welcome to Mothers with Sons. It's a podcast for moms parenting young men. I'm Dennis Boyd, your host. Welcome to a new episode. Welcome to episode 18. So I want to preface this episode by saying the cadence is going to be a little slower. My words may come across as measured And that's because of the sensitive nature of today's discussion. And today we're going to be discussing intimate partner violence slash domestic violence. Now, those two terms are used interchangeably. And if there's anything throughout this episode that you may find triggering, um, I ask that you send me an email or reach out to, you know, a clinician or someone that may be able to provide you with the therapeutic support that you need in order to work through the trauma or the emotions that may be associated um, with the experience that you may have had, whether it's a personal experience or a vicarious experience, I certainly want to make sure that you uh, get the support that you need. So without you know belaboring the point, I want to go ahead and get us started. So I want to begin this particular episode as I do many with a anecdotal to underscore the effects and to underscore the effects that it has on young men. So this dates back to November of 2009. And I remember this day very vividly like it was yesterday. Um, There was a young man, his name was to allow him to remain anonymous, his name is David. So David was a young man who, at the beginning of the school year, was struggling academically. And this particular week, his English teacher in particular that I recall had come to me and she had said, Mr. Boyd, you know, David's been doing really well. I really just wanted to make sure that I came to you and let you know how much he's improved. We've seen, I've seen tremendous improvement over the course of the past month um, in his behavior and his work ethic. You know, he's taking his academics seriously, you know, and myself and the grade team, you know, we just, we were talking about him in our meeting yesterday and, you know, I really wanted to come to you and share it with you so that you knew that, you know, he's making progress. And I thanked her and that morning, you know, She went upstairs and I stayed downstairs and, you know, David walked in and I immediately pulled him to the side and was gave him, you know, a pound and a hug. And I told him, you know, what she had shared with me. And I looked him square in his eyes and I told him that I was proud of him and I encouraged him to keep up the good work. We were going on a trip that month. Uh, I think the trip was probably about a week and a half to two weeks away. Told him, keep up the good work. You know, I'm going to love seeing you and having you on the trip. And he looked at me and he said, thank you, Mr. Boyd. He went into the auditorium and, you know, as far as I knew, it was going to be a regular day. And maybe about three to four minutes later, you know, I turn around and I look and he has a young man in a headlock who was in the row in front of him. And he's attempting to pull this young man over the seat. And I walk over and I'm like, David, let him go. Let him go. And 
he was like locked in like he couldn't hear anyone so the assistant principal came over and he you know he broke it up and David goes to the main office the principal's office and I look at her and she looks at me and I ask her I say could you do me a favor could you let me talk with him first and see what's going on because he's been doing extremely well you know Miss English came and she shared with me this morning how the team you know, all agreed that he's been doing exceptionally well. He's been, you know, making tremendous strides. And I just want to check in with him and see what's going on. And she looked at me and she said, okay, Mr. Boyd. He said, I'm going to trust you. So we go upstairs to the assistant principal's office. And I mean, his breaths were so shallow. His fist was still clenched and he just looked like he was enraged. And myself and the principal attempted, you know, to talk to him, you know, to get him to open up. And I remember looking at the assistant principal and I mouthed to him, you know, give me about 10 minutes with him. And he, you know, excused himself and he, he left. And I looked at him and I said, David, I said, I don't know what happened between the time that I told you that I was proud of you. And the moment when I turned around and you had, you know, whoever you was that you had him in a headlock. I, I don't know what happened. And I explained to him that at this juncture, we both know what's supposed to happen because you were fighting in the school. I said, if you can help me understand what happened, I can probably help you. And he shared what happened. And here's what happened that morning. He looked at me and he said, Mr. Boyd, he said, my mom's got beat up this morning by her boyfriend. And I looked and I gasped because I couldn't believe it. I said, oh my gosh. And I asked him, I said, are you okay? And he said, no. I said, whatever you want to tell me, I'm here to listen. And he said, you know, this gentleman, was, I can't call him a gentleman. This guy, you know, had hit his mother like they were having an argument and he hit her. And when he heard him hit her and her hit the floor, he immediately ran into the kitchen and he got a knife. And he was going to stab the guy. And his mother said, no, David, no, please don't stab him. Because what will happen is you'll end up getting arrested and going to jail. Like, please don't don't stab him. And he said he put the knife down and he went to call 911. And his mother said, no, don't call the police, because if the police come, they're going to arrest him. And he looked at me with those tears in his eyes. And he said, Mr. Boyd, I'm a young man. I'm supposed to protect my mother. What was I supposed to do? She wouldn't let me stab him and she wouldn't let me call the police on him. And I looked at him and I said, honestly, David, I don't have an answer for you. What I can say is I am so sorry that this is what you experienced before you arrived at school today. And I just sat with him in that moment. I put my arm around him and I said to him, I totally understand you wanting to stab him and you wanting to call the police on him. As a young man, if that were my mom, it would be the my response would be the same as yours, because instinctively, as a young man, you are wired to protect your mother and the people that you love. 
that's how you're wired. And he looked like he had this sigh of relief. But before I jump into the effects and the risks that it has on your son, I want to just take make sure that I say to you that you're not alone and that you're not at fault. I'm not here to blame, point the finger. This is an issue nationwide and globally. But here in America, one in four women and one in seven men have been victims of severe violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. And you can find this information on the hotline.org. And you can find the link. You'll find a link in the description to go to that website. But more importantly is that if you find yourself in this circumstance, I want to make sure that you have the information to get professionals who can actually assist you. So if you find yourself in this circumstance and it's an urgent circumstance, you know, I recommend that you call 911. If you are able to place a phone call, the number that you can call is 1-800-799-7233. Again, the number is 1-800-799-7233. And the numbers spelled out is SAFE, S-A-F-E. So again, that number is 1-800-799-SAFE, which is 7233. If you wanted to chat with someone, if you have access to internet or you have, you know, a phone with um, service on it, you can actually chat with someone on loveisrespect.org. That's L-O-V-E-I-S-R-E-S-P-E-C-T.org. And you can chat with someone there safely. And if you needed to send a text message, you can text love is that is L O V E I S to T O to the number two, two, five, two, two. Again, you can text L O V E I S to the number two, two, five, two, two. If you wanted to text with someone so that you can actually get assistance. And again, it's it's just so important that you know that you're not alone. You're not. It's not your fault. You can't you don't have to blame yourself and say that you've done this. Therefore, you deserve it. And you conversely. You can justify why you've abused someone. But again, does someone deserve someone having their hands on them? So to kind of. So to put domestic violence in context, it's not necessarily only physical abuse and violence. From what I've read, it actually begins with verbal, psychological, emotional abuse. So those are the subtle ways in which it begins, in which it occurs. And it continues to escalate from there. So I am not an expert on domestic or intimate partner violence. The role that I'm playing in this is to help you understand that it's important. It's like it's really imperative 
that you get yourself into a safe environment because it's tr a traumatic experience on both you and your son. And it's something that you may say to yourself, oh, I'll be okay. Or you may say to yourself, you know, it's not really affecting my son. I know for a fact that that's not true. There was a young man that I met, a family that I met in January of this year, 2020. The mother had confided in me that she was in transitional housing because she was a victim of domestic violence. How it impacted her son is what prompted her to take action. She saw that her son was spiraling downward in school. He had begun to engage in fighting and belligerent behavior in the classrooms and things like that. But most importantly, she saw that he was struggling with depression and at one point had to be hospitalized because he would not get out of bed to go to school or to do anything. When we had gotten together, he had said, yes, he was depressed and that he was still struggling with depression because he just didn't understand, number one, why his mother would stay. But number two, he didn't understand why his father would do that. So he was a 16 year old gentleman wrestling with this tension between mom and dad and not understanding it and able to give it proper context. He didn't say that he was blaming himself, but there are so many kids who think that it's their fault that it's actually occurring because they may not have context from some of the conversations that they overhear. So I just want to urge you that if you're in this particular scenario and you find yourself in this place, please don't blame yourself for your safety and your son's safety. I'm urging you and begging you to get the help and the support that you need. I want to speak to a segment of the audience that may be holding fast to strong religious traditions, um, religious views, convictions that may have you staying in a scenario that is harmful and detrimental and just quite frankly, just unsafe for you and your son or you and your children. I just don't believe that praying to your God, whoever that God may be, with the expectation that the person who's abusing you is going to be redeemed in this miraculous way and just stop abusing you. I would hope that you're not holding fast to that belief in the scenario in which you are continuing to be abused. My hope for you is that if you're going to pray, that you would do that from a distance so that you are safe, that you and your son are safe, that you and your other children are safe. Because the truth of the matter is that you're all experiencing trauma. And the question I want to present to you is what your experience, is that what you want your son to become? Or is that what you want him to experience as he becomes an adult? 
There are studies that show that children of abused parents who witness or experience that trauma are at risk of either experiencing intimate partner or domestic violence or abuse as adults or committing domestic abuse or being the abuser in an intimate partner relationship. And I don't think that that's what you want for your son. My concern is that your child, your children, your son would grow up having inherited a theology or a religious belief system or tradition in which they themselves are in a, an, are in an abusive relationship and find themselves praying themselves, praying for themselves to be removed from that scenario rather than removing themselves from that scenario and then praying. I just don't want to see yourself or your children present day or the future find themselves in a scenario in which they're praying when in fact they should be taking action steps to remove themselves from a domestic remove themselves from a domestic or intimate partner violence scenario and it's going to require you to extract yourself in order to ensure that they themselves are safe and to ensure your own safety. So I just want to, again, encourage you to call 1-800-799-7233. Again, the number is 1-800-799-7233. And the numbers spelled out is SAFE. S-A-F-E. So again, that number is 1-800-799-SAFE, which is 7233. If you wanted to chat with someone, if you have access to Internet or you have, you know, a phone with um, service on it, you can actually chat with someone on loveisrespect.org. That's L-O-V-E-I-S. R-E-S-P-E-C-T dot org. And you can chat with someone there safely. And if you needed to send a text message, you can text love is that is L-O-V-E-I-S to T-O to the number 22522. Again, you can text L-O-V-E-I-S to the number 22522 if you wanted to text with someone so that you can actually get assistance. As I was listening to Tyler Perry's, Tyler Perry's interview with Gail King, as a 50-year-old man, the abuse and witnessing his mom be abused is still sticks with him today as though it happened yesterday what i'm going to do is i'm going to play the clip and we'll come back and we'll pick it up from there what is it that you think that this happened to you that you do really well that you're really proud of i worked very very hard i this this entire um journey of telling stories was born out of pain 
born out of heartache, born out of uh, being an abused kid who could go inside of his head and create a world and imagination. Also, that same abused kid watching his mother, it's nothing like a boy child. I don't know what it's like for a girl, but a man child watching his mother getting beaten and there's nothing he can do. My desire and heart to make her laugh and feel better was so strong and, you know, if I could make a joke or if I could imitate her or my aunt and make her laugh or some of the women she would play cards with on Friday nights, all of that was so powerful and so important to me. So I'm wondering if you were able to detect and hear the emotion in his voice, if you were able to sense that he was almost reliving these experiences as he shared them. There were four things that stood out to me as I listened to his interview. And I think about what you and your son may be experiencing that I kind of want to bring to the forefront in the event that these were things that you actually didn't detect. So the first thing he said was that, you know, everything that he does was born out of pain, born out of heartache. And I think it's important to know that that's his story. That was the journey and the trajectory that he had to undergo in order to get to where he is. So with all of the success that he's amassed and the accolades and his body of work, well, he doesn't have body of work. He has volumes of work that speaks for itself. But you get to hear the driving force and the motivator behind the work that he's done that it was born from pain, hard, like, like just listening to the adjectives. He was an abused kid, number two. He was an abused kid that was able to go into his mind and create these stories. What would it look like for him if he was just able to go into his mind and create these stories? So as a young man, he learned really early how to create the world he wanted to live in, in his own head. And again, there is no right or wrong. There's certainly no judgment. My point that I think, the point that I think is really important and worth driving home is, is it okay for a young man to experience abuse and trauma in order for him to achieve any level of success. The third thing that he brought up, and this is where he really began to quiver and I could hear where they, this is where they edited, you know, the interview for the sake of what they were looking to communicate. But he said, there's something about a man child who watches his mother get abused and there's nothing he can do about it. There's something trapped inside of every man. This courageous young man to protect his mother from any hurt, harm or danger. And when he's not able to do that, when those moments arise, there's something that it does to young men and men on the inside. If you can remember back to when I started this um, episode, I started with David's story and he wanted to protect his mother and it chipped at the essence of who he was as a young man, not being able to protect his mom. And then the fourth thing 
that he highlighted is that he had a desire to make his mother laugh. And that was important to him. So essentially at an early age, he became the emotional caretaker for his mom. And that's a huge role and a huge responsibility for a young man. And again, there is no right or wrong. I'm not distinguishing and saying that there is a right or wrong. The question that I will continue to ask is, is this what you want for your son? Are these decisions that you want him to have to make at an early age? You know, from a developmental standpoint, there's just a lot to be said about a child being able to be a child and not having to take on adult responsibilities. And, you know, from my vantage point, the goal is to protect and insulate the purity of children as long as we can as adults so that they don't become jaded, that they're able to live and maximize their lives and to make decisions that are from a position and a place of being their best ver- being the best version of themselves without having been exposed to any of, you know, the worst of what society has to offer our children. So again, there is certainly no judgment. I want the best for you. I want the best for your son. So again, if you're in a scenario or situation in which you need assistance, the goal is for you to reach out and get the assistance that you need. That's the only goal here is for you to get the attention and the support for you to get the help and the support that you need to move beyond where you are, because the truth is you deserve better. There's no one who can convince me that you deserve that. No one. And I want to encourage you to reach out and get the help and the support that you need. I want to end this episode by just saying thank you. If you're someone who's listened to this episode and you're not a person who's experienced domestic or intimate partner violence, but you know someone who is experiencing it, I ask that you reach out and encourage them to get the help and the support that they need. I am a strong advocate for, you know, get the clinical and the therapeutic support that's going to be necessary and essential to help you and your family begin to heal. You know, if you have a son to get him into counseling and therapy, counseling or therapy to help him move beyond this experience. You can send me an email at mr underscore boyd at me.com and I'll work to connect you with an organization or a local professional in your city or your geographic location. That brings this episode to a close. On your journey of parenting, I want to leave you with the words of Jill Churchill. There's no way to be a perfect mother but a million ways to be a good one. I hope you've been encouraged and inspired. And on behalf of your sons, thank you.